Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Hey, this is Derwin Lester with the Blanket Fortress of Solitude, and with me today is a friend from a faraway distant previous life in college. Because in college, I used to go to this basement, and then we'd sit in this big room, and we'd watch a movie, and then we'd talk about a movie. It's like a podcast that you paid hundreds and if not thousands of dollars to attend. <laughs> which makes my $2.99 a month subscription seem kind of cheap by comparison. So <clears throat> I got to talking to this guy and he's a real sci-fi guy, right? Like me, you know, writes military science fiction, never having enlisted himself, but I read his stuff and me being a, a veteran, I could look at his stuff and say, huh, there is a real piece of authenticity to the work that he did. And with that work, with the, the the detail of it, there's also an element of a throwback to kind of a, a 1960s, 1970s B-movie military science fiction genre trappings of it. Right? I can smell a lot of the culture that he absorbed to that he put into this work. And today with me, of course, is the intrepid Nick Oaks. Nick, thank you for joining. Thank you very much for having me, Darwin. I'm glad to be here. Um. So, with spacers, there's so much lore to unpack there. Lots of lore. Lots and lots of lore. Um, there is, starting early in the beginning, right? It's called transference. Is that right? Yes. Transference is the technique by which interstellar interplanetary any form of faster than light travel happens in the story talk to me about that set we're setting table for the wider story yeah absolutely uh transference um basically my idea for transference was i wanted to do something when it came to ftl you know the, the old um fly in the ointment because obviously you know physicists tell us ftl is impossible but as a sci-fi writer you get to tell a physicist i don't care <laughs> so, Very good. Um, and basically I wanted to try and come up with something that I could have, I could hang my own hat on something that I could, you know, send up my, send up my own flag on that pole. The, thing, the pole that I came up with, you know, for lack of a better term is transference. And basically what it is um, to try and get the maybe hand wavy physics stuff out of the way, just to, to sort of give it some Pretend meaning. I have a liberal arts degree. Yeah, for sure. Well, I do, I do too. Um, so believe me, I'm, I'm I'm sort of flying by the seat of my pants and all of this as well. But it's basically like quantum stuff and wormhole stuff. So it had a had a, had a love child. Because um, basically, what transference is, it's tearing a hole in space and dropping through higher dimensions into another point in space, which can potentially be thousands or at least hundreds of dozens of light years away. Is that kind of the old folding paper and then poking a pencil through it? Kind of, yeah. 
I just don't like to call it that because everybody else and their mother has called it that. (laughs) Everyone from... It's more like we're trying to, you know... uh, uh, So the listener can understand it clearly. So early in the lore, they they uncover transference and that sets this whole future off on a distant course. Now, what happens in Spacer's book one, right? Because you have this initial... Uh, a Newtonian changing moment called transference, right? Sets the future all off on a course. And, <clears throat> you know, as uh, uh, there's hundreds of years of conflict and everything. Now, are there aliens in your world? Is it just humans? Talk to me about that. Yes and no. The aliens that exist in the Spacer's universe are such that they're out there but at the time that spacers takes place, they're kind of distant. Okay. It's kind of like it's kind of like back in the back in the day here on Earth, when you know you know that the Chinese the Chinese like the Han Empire or whatever is over there in East Asia. You know that there's the there's the Mali Empire out in Africa, but you're just the Greeks. You can't necessarily get there. You might be able to like you know get get tidbits of their like communications tidbits of like tr- stuff traded from them through long distance um routes long distance communication lines but there's not really a whole lot of interaction because at this at the point the spacers takes place the human empire is still relatively small okay so what year does spacers book one take place spacers book one takes place in the mid 2140s okay. um it starts off I want to say like 2146, because I know that it takes place about 100 years after the formation of the ICA, which we'll probably get to later. What is the um, ICA? Okay, the ICA is my handy dandy little acronym, because you know what, what would military science fiction be without its alphabet soup? Obviously. Yes. Um, the ICA is the shorthand for the Interplanetary Colonial Administration, which, for la- again, for sort of yeah, it's it's basically the Federation stand-in. Sure. It's it's kind. I, I I like to refer to it, and if anything, it's it's, it's very much like a Federation because I always have referred to it as the UN in space. It's kind of an organization, an interstate organization for different planets and different settlements and so on throughout the solar system and other solar systems. Sure. So, so who yeah. is the hero in Spacer's Book One? Spacer's Book One revolves around a young guy. Uh, by the name of Cameron Powell, who comes from a military family. Um, his father was a spacer. That's this from the Spacer Corps. That's the basically military wing of the ICA. It's um, the Marines in space. Basically. Another thing that I know a neat trick I did where I took the concept of space Marines, which in some form or another has been around at least since the 50s in Heinlein. Sure. And I sort of did my own thing with it because... On the one hand, I didn't want to just do Space Marines again, since, again, that's been done to death. Sure. And I also wanted to sort of hew it a little closer to what I thought the Space Force might actually turn out to be, if the Space Force ever turns out to be something more than just, um, you know, a 6,000-man um, sky-watching operation. I think they're kind of, they're kind of just like a subsidiary of the Air Force at this yeah. point. They're well, what the, the Air Force was to the Army in 1947. Yeah, I think that's, that's that's exactly right because the 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 bulk of what the space force is used to be 
part of, used to be the Space Command, which is one of the commands under Air Force jurisdiction. Sure. They just spooled it off so it could get funding for its own operations because, um, you know, some people think it's just a joke. Um, some people sort of you know, go along partisan lines. They think it's a joke. I, just, I see I'm more pragmatic when it comes to the Space Force because on the one hand, you've got planetary protection where you need to watch out for asteroids, which is what the Space, you know, the space Command was always doing. And on the other hand, you have to watch out for what the other countries are putting up there in space because... You know, China, Russia, even places like India, um, countries in the Middle East, countries in Europe are always putting up stuff um, that flies around in space. And all it would really take to destroy modern civilization is for somebody to get, to get smart alecky and send a missile up there and blow one of those things up and cause a, cause a Kessler syndrome is what, what they call it. Sure. But um, yeah, I ran with the concept of the Space Corps and... Uh, uh, the Space Force sort of morphing into the Space Corps as being sort of the, as I said, the armed wing, the armed branch of the ICA organ, you know, sure. uh, intergovernmental body. Um, and Cameron Powell is basically he is a fresh graduate of the Space Force, uh, Space Force Academy, if you will. Yeah, he's he's he graduated maybe the year before the story begins, and. He has sort of spent the time between when he graduated and that spring and the spring or summer thereabouts when the story begins, basically just on exercises with his new platoon because the solar system is in a bad space. There's talk of war between Earth and Mars. Sure. Why is that? Well, Mars and this, and this again, this particular future history has become kind of like... Um, Ironically, it's become kind of like America was in the 1770s. Um, it's become a hotbed for revolution and um, or like, like, you know, some other places have become in more recent years, more recent centuries and decades. You know, it's, it's, of course. That's sort of, that's sort of um, some might call it a, a disease. Some might call it a cleansing fever. You know, it depends on what your point of view is. Sure. Uh, but it's that it's that it's that it's that uh, sort of malady of revolutionism that goes around sort of this is always somewhere and Mars has taken that up because at this again at the point the story takes place Mars has been settled for about a century and sure. they're developing quickly thanks to the ability of sending people out there faster than light and um, they basically don't want to be governed by Earth it's, it's basically again it's the same thing that happened with um, the 13 colonies to a certain, to a certain extent it's, and they open the, up mm-hmm. like the book opens and I was listening to it today mm-hmm. And the book opens with the training exercise on the moon. And I love the first line. It says four months on Luna, not a damn thing to show for it. That was always a favorite of mine. And also the the bombing of Copenhagen that institutes the war. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a stroke of genius. That was really well done. Yeah. But even that, you know, it's, it's, we talk about, like, you know, obviously, you know, guys like you and me are just part of this history part of this continuum but yeah um you know scholars of the sci-fi genre talk all the time about how uh, really like it's as with any genre or any form of communication any form of fiction any form of literature sure. um it's always in communication with itself and it's always referencing itself endlessly sure. and you know basically you know the the attacking the enemy on, on under which when we should be under a flag of peace um you know, Battlestar, the Battlestar Galactica reboot, mm. um, 
and obviously goes all the way back to Pearl Harbor. Yeah, you know, yeah. So um, basically, basically, the bombing of the Copenhagen ICA governance compound is basically just a. It's basically um, the attack on Pearl Harbor, except 200 years in the future. And after that, so now I'm I'm curious about your influences because I think I always have been because I've always, you know, now you didn't watch Babylon Five, right? Like before you wrote this. No, I didn't. It's funny. I've started watching it in recent years, and I've seen some of what you were taught, what you were telling me you about know. when you talked about it back then. You see what um, I'm talking about now? Yeah, I think. But again, that just, if anything, that speaks to the level of intercommunication between all these different things in, in this genre, especially and between other genres as well, because, you know, a lot of my, uh, not to get into that topic too Please deep, do. but, you know, some of my other writings, um, you know, have elements of, have elements of like noir detective thrillers, sure. um, horror and thriller, um, basically, and basically what it all boils down to is it doesn't even boil down to, for me anyway, reading a whole lot because i've read a good bit of sci-fi but i've watched a heck of a lot more than i've read sure and um another th- i think you've mentioned at some point in the past how you could tell right away when you started reading my writing you watched a lot of the same movies you know we just, oh, I, just I just i just rewatched pitch black last night and that is still one of my founding texts for the like the space thriller movie you you have a lot of it, a lot of it reads like an astro- astronomy book too. Mm-hmm. Like I took an astronomy class in college and <laughs> you've got a lot of, it, it's very dense and it's very, and when I say mm-hmm. dense, I mean like it's, it, 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 there's a lot of like, Oh, we're on this star and like this moon and this solar, like this comet's called this or this moon and Titans this or whatever. Right. Like I, I'm not a scientist clearly, but I always appreciated that where you threw a lot of like real science, like well-researched science in there, real well-researched mm-hmm. astronomy about the, the the various bodies of the solar system. Talk to me about that. Where was the inspiration there? Well, sure. It's that, that's that basically is as with a lot of people's writing, especially you know genre escapist writing or whatever we want to call it. It's self-insert. I happen to love astronomy. Um, I love space. I love space exploration sciences. And for me, putting that stuff in there just became another part of the world building, which sure. you, know, you talk about how dense my lore is. The, the the lore, like the fictional lore and the actual true, relative, true to life or true to our understa- current understanding, astrono- astronomical lore, all comes from my own love of world building, trying sure. to pepper that stuff in there, you know, the, to make, the, make it really pop, as yeah. we would say in the restaurant business, I guess you could say. Um, and, um, it, uh, it, um, the thing about, but the thing about including all that astronomical lore again, sort of going on that idea of what, of what to call it is that it basically becomes a treat for people who are also like me, who also are nuts about that stuff. Cause it doesn't really detract from it. If you're not a big astronomy nerd, it doesn't but, get in the way. No. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, that's, I'm, that, that, I'm not a big astronomy nerd, but I glommed on to the uh, military uh, sci-fi mm-hmm. aspects. So like I said, yeah. I was listening to it today when I was doing the dishes and it feels very, it, it's got a real retro vibe to it. Yeah. Right. Like I saw a lot, a lot of John Wayne as a kid. I saw a lot of sort of like old school sci-fi movies when I was a mm-hmm. kid 
I saw it's it's I can't I could never place it, but it's got such a retro vibe to it where it's it feels like it was it reminds me a lot of the old 60s sci-fi books I used to read about guys written by guys that were like in Korea or World War II and then they wrote a sci-fi book about it. That's basically what it comes from. Is again, um, at the risk of calling my work derivative, which you know I is kind of, and some people might consider that anathema. But I, I, I consider it just par for the course because that's basically what I'm doing. I'm writing based on stuff I've either watched, most likely, or possibly read that was, you know, produced, uh, film, you know. Uh, either whether it's filmmaking or written whether it was writing it was written by people who like you watched those guys who were either in Vietnam or Korea or World War II and then wrote about their experiences in sci-fi form yeah and kind I of, basically it's, it's yeah. all of literature really is just telephone game throughout the generations yeah. there's this concept of the great conversation now that's more like real highbrow like you know you're reading like the Homer's Odyssey and yeah, again, I, I listened to a thing from the Great Courses while I was working. That's it's, what like, I'm thinking of. Yeah, like, like I was, I listened to, but it's 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 a, it's a course from the Great Courses by a professor who specializes in genre fiction, and he was lecturing on the history and uh, like and, and like what sci-fi does when it does well when it does it well. Um, I, would, I, I could probably I could send you a link to it or say because it's on Audible, obviously. Sure. But it was it was, a, it was electrifying listen, but. And basically what he's talking about through a lot of that is, you know, sci-fi doesn't have to be this lowly thing. You know, it's only just in maybe the last decade or two starting to become more respected in the literature community, especially, but really even within the, within the genre community, genre fiction community in, in general, because people always look at sci-fi as something written for adolescent boys by, um, you know, men who didn't never really fully grew up. Yeah. And that's not that's not the case because you know you've got again talking about movies for example you've got um, you've got sorry if that's in the background I've please got, please continue no it's fine um, uh, I did an interview once with a guy where he was sitting in Alabama outside of his chicken coop talking on his phone <laughs> yeah well if I was in if I was in the other room you'd hear this you'd hear the water pump for my frog that's fine don't worry about it buddy. but yeah but yeah it, all literature is in constant it's, it's, I consider it a continuum. You know, we you know we we refer to we refer to different things as continuum, but literature is certainly a continuum because everything that gets placed on that track, that that um, that run that, run, that, that treadmill that's constantly moving into the future, you know, or, or, or strolling out of the future into the past, um, you know, we, we, all we can do is hope to is hope to plant our flag in that surface and have somebody else use it as a waypoint for their own work. So, and on that note, sir, what are you up to these days? Well, um, you got a blog, right? Yep, I've got a blog. I have talk to me about the blog. Yep, I've got, um, I need to actually update it more because it's, 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 a, it's a habit you have to form. And for me, I'd rather just be writing. Yeah, I could write endlessly. I actually, just to talk about my current output, I wrote a 48 page. A screenplay for a potential story um, in about two days. Okay, that's yeah, a lot. Know, yeah, basically in the span of about thirty hours, and that was with going to work too. 
Yeah, you always had a pretty high output. Yeah, it's, well, it's weird because I'll, I'll I'll go for like a month or maybe like two or three weeks where I don't really write anything, and then mm. I'll have like one week or two weeks where I write like enough to fill a book, oh, yeah. and then I sort of go back and then I sort of cycle back. But yeah, the blog is I've got some of my like. Wait, let me back up a step. Please. Basically, the way the blog started was as a means to store some of my best work, kind of as a portfolio. Okay. In essence, because long story short, I was applying to a job in the creative sector that asked for a portfolio. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to give this my all because on the off chance I get it, I want them to actually see some of my good work. So I got on, I think it's called like, um, it's not Squarespace. I have to look up what the place is called. Oh, but it's, um, it's, it's, it's got some name because you, because it, it, it's, it's really cool because I like, I set up my own favicon, the little like icon up at the top where it shows like the icon, you know, the icon like on the internet tab. Um, I set one of those up. I set up my own logo, which is something that I had for years. Um, and I just started populating it with some of my stories, populating it with some of my old like academic writings, some science writings that I've been doing since I've been in uh, been in grad school, um, which is another thing I'm working on. Talk to me about um, grad school. Uh, well, here, I'm actually wearing my shirt right now. I'm You're in Johns Hopkins. Yep, I am doing a Johns Hopkins virtual uh, online program in science writing master's program what are you doing at john hopkins (laughs) i'm I'm studying science writing and i've actually got an internship lined up at nasa um for this summer interesting yeah what science writing are you studying like what's your well pretend i don't know what i'm talking about no no absolutely of course that's what i'm here for um science writing in essence is um it's like it's like journalism Sure. basically is the basically what they're training us for obviously there's some sort of different nuance different nuance types but most of what they're teaching us is how to be journalists but it's it's journalism with a specific beat it's not like oh i'm going to go interview you know celebrities or oh i'm going to go interview sports athletes and stuff like that it's it's um journalism that focuses on the on scientific discoveries and scientific events because I've often heard that scientists and doctors have a hard time communicating information to the public. Yep, that's right. True. Kind of like if there's a scary virus, and the doctors mm-hmm. are like, "Hey," and they might misspeak, and then everyone's scared and their anxieties take over, and then it just devolves into madness, yep. right? Which we've seen for the last two years. Yep. So totally, we could use and- good people writing uh, uh, science. And communicate well, to the public. That's that's totally what the degree is about, and that's what the internship is going to be about. That's why yeah. I'm so excited about the internship. It's just actually doing exactly what I've been learning for this past year. Um, Talk to me about what you've been learning for last year. Yeah, it's um, what we do is basically you whether you go out and seek out people to interview, whether you do research through like you know databases and article and like you know scientific periodicals that put out like scholarly journal scholarly articles. Um, you look for the latest and greatest in science. That's okay. usually what it is. Now, obviously, um, I will sort of give a caveat by saying that a lot of science writing nowadays and what the people actually interact with more frequently is the watered down sort of clickbaity stuff that basically says um, one of the common lines you'll see is, oh, there's an asteroid the size of insert object here heading towards <laughs> the Earth. You know, I it's stuff like that. Yes, where- you see them every week. Everyone but then, like, you get halfway week. through the paragraph, they're like, ah, it's going to 
it'll just pass right past us. It'll be fine. Yeah, it'll it'll pass. It'll it'll be it'll it might pass closer to the moon, but that's it. They don't talk about the fact that's still a couple hundred thousand miles. But like the the picture on the article is like an asteroid smashing into the planet. Exactly. Yeah. But real science journalism, the kind that's not watered down and reduced to clickbait, is you know. Um, I'll, I'll sort of analogize it with something I might be doing this summer at the internship. Say that NASA's Juno mission, which is their like big, there's like a probe that's out of Jupiter, orbiting around Jupiter and its moons. Um, if that were to say break, bring back or send back some data about Aurora, you know, like polar lights basically on Jupiter. I am so excited for this internship for you. How long is it? It's ten weeks. Nice. It'll go, for, it'll go from June 6th to August 12th. I just got the welcome packet yesterday. That's so it's, great, man. Yep. Thanks, man. Um, What's the chance of this turn into a full-time nap? And like, are you going to Florida? Or, like, where are you going? Um, well, like I said, the, the there's, there's different centers for NASA. It was like 10, eight, there's like eight, nine, maybe that 10 different centers. And then there's a whole bunch of, like, offshoot, like, research facilities. So there's, that makes sense. There's, there's JPL in Pasadena. There's Goddard in Greenbelt, Maryland. There's um, Glenn Space Flight Center in, or Glenn Reese um, something in Cleveland. Where are you going? I'm actually not going anywhere. The only place I have to go is to Cleveland to get badged. But the my internship is fully virtual. They're going to send me, they're going to send me a computer. Yeah, there's st- the, the interns, the intern stuff is still apparently done virtually, which is something they transitioned to part mostly because of the pandemic, but also they just kind of kept going because, you know, pandemic stuff is still technically not over. And because, you know, people are coming to this inter- internship from all over the country. You know, they, we've got some people from all sorts of different universities, including some that are way over on the West Coast, I think. So this yeah. just makes it more convenient for everybody because, you know, to have to relocate to, to Greenbelt for 10 weeks or to thereabouts for 10 weeks, you know. I mean, that could be fun, but. <laughs> yeah, I've got, you know, I'd probably be better off than, than some because I've got relatives who live in like the D.C. area and then, and then in Maryland. And I could really? probably stay with them or hell have them, or at least, you know, use them as a resource to find a, hope, a place to stay, find a temporary place to stay. But um, yeah, it's going to be so much easier this way. But as far as it turning into a full-time job, I'm definitely keeping my fingers crossed because even if it, I, there's, there's several people, for instance, who are coming back and doing like their second or even third internship round. Um, but there's also people who were like in the, in the introductory meeting a week or two ago who talked about being an intern several times and then getting hired on. Because obviously it's, you know, you're probably familiar with this sort of stuff even more than I am. It's, it's government work. You know, they not only have to think, know that you're a good employee, they have to be able to find the funding you know, they can, it's a paid internship. It's got a good stipend, which they say is pretty good. Um, but, um, you know, they have interns who do some of the work because they just can't, you know, necessarily have all the full-time people that they would have if they were to give all the interns full-time positions. Makes sense. Yeah. So it's sort of, it's sort of a, it's sort of a, you could, I could you could call it a cost cutting measure or maybe better, better said a, a corner cutting measure, but, is what it is well i mean if i'm like a senator and i'm mm-hmm. on a committee and i can do everything like mm-hmm. before the pandemic or at least enough because you know uh if, if everything can operate like on a c plus b minus level still with everyone working from the house and then you offload the cost of maintenance of a building 
and uh, they pay for their power, food, and water every day. Um, you know, just the cost of plumbing in government buildings is astronomical, right? Because there's just it, it it's just constantly being used. So I imagine that uh, things will probably be virtual as much as possible. You know, um, unless somebody gets a wild hair up their ass, but well, I we'll doubt see. that. I, I doubt that's going to happen just because of the money. Like they'll talk about it on the TV, but uh, when it comes down to it, if you can say money, they'll do that. Yep. Well, it's funny because I was, I actually, I made a post on social media about my having gotten the internship. Cause you know, they even send you like a picture to use. They send you like, I'm a NASA intern picture to use. And um, someone commented on it who'd um, who works there like who actually works at NASA Goddard. And they said they were back on campus like as of this week. And I was like, well, I'm actually going to be virtual. And they said, and they, they, they responded. Oh yes. I've heard. Oh yeah, that's right. I've heard that the interns are still going to be working virtually, but apparently I've got the like regular employees going back to campus. So there you go. Who knows? Who knows? And on that note, sir, I think we will wrap up there before we go. I'd like to tell our listeners that spacers book one is available at the $2.99 per month subscription tier here on the Blanket Fortress Solitude on Spotify. Nick, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. I hope you have a great week. I will see you next week at 0700 when we go deep into the end of the world. <laughs>